Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Man, turn your Bibles today to Hebrews chapter 10. Just a quick FYI where I'll be going. So next Sunday, I'm going to take a break from Hebrews. Um, I'm going to preach. I don't have a clue what I'm going to preach next week yet. Um, God will tell me. But the following week, I leave on that following Tuesday, going to Brazil. Um, Mona's going with me and then eight other people from World Reach. Um, Jared's um, church, he's going to be with us. So we'll leave first through the ninth. Drew will be here the Sunday that I'm not here. And um, then when I get back, I want to dive into Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame. I'm pretty excited about that. But that's coming in the, the future. You ever thought about what it would be like to go in the presence of a king? You know, some of us seem to think that we could just walk in. Try that at Buckingham Palace. See how far you get. I would imagine not very far. But aren't you glad that you can, can walk in and see the King of Kings? You can walk right into the very throne room of heaven, the very holy of holies at any minute and be right in front of the king because of grace. We're going to talk about how it changed and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 25 and just see what the Bible has to say today. Let's stand at the reading of God's word if you would, if you're able and you can. And I don't have my glasses. This might not run to my office. Let's read. Um, The Bible says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, and with one heart, and our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is a habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray, y'all. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we so thank you and we praise you. We thank you that we can draw near. We thank you that we can come before the very throne of God and speak with you. We don't go through a priest. We don't offer a sacrifice. We come into the presence and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Only, this is one of those sermons, only two points. You know what that means. Get ready. I'm kidding. It's just two points today because I really want to contrast And I'm going to do it quickly, especially the way the Old Testament people approached and how we approach today. So let's just jump in. How they approached. Turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. They could only approach in one way, by way of a sacrifice. 
They could never just enter into the holy. And he's really talking about being in, in the holy of holies here. He could, they could never enter that holy of holy place, which is the very throne room of God, as it were. They could never just waltz in there. And even seemingly if they wanted God to hear their prayers and their thoughts and their um, confession, it had to come by the way of a sacrifice. That's what Leviticus was all about. Talked to them about how they could come near to God. So just not to really get into a lot of these, but here, just going to look at what they are. Uh, in chapter 1 of Leviticus, we see the law of burnt offerings. Chapter 2, we see the law of grain offerings. Three, the law of peace offerings. Four, the law for sin offerings. The, chapter five, the law for guilt offerings. And then it deals with also the priest and the offering. And so it always had to come by a sacrifice. And why was that? Why is it that they just could not waltz in to that very holy of holies that was behind the veil and talk to God? Was well, because they always had their sin with them. It was always, they were always still guilty. They had never paid that redemption price. I, I've dealt with it the past few weeks, and I thought about having a rug up here this week, but it was because their rugs were just there, and they were always guilty. Never were they cleaned. But then that was sort of individual stuff. But then if you go to Leviticus chapter 16, let's turn there real quick. You see where once for the whole nation, a priest would come and offer a sacrifice for the nation to sort of once again do it. But even then, the priest could not go into the very Holy of Holies without some laws and regulations and rituals. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and your brother not to come at any time into the holy place. There it is. Inside the veil, inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, a ram for the burnt offering. He'll put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. And then he does them. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And he shall offer the bull as a sin offering. Notice this for himself and make atonement for himself and his house. And then, I mean, he would usually stay awake for some 24 hours also preparing himself to go in. And then that is if it was not enough, just in case he missed something, just in case he forgot something, they would tie a rope around his ankle. So if he went in and he got before the Lord on the mercy seat, <coughs> they would pull him out if he died. Because here's my question. <coughs> you going in after him? He's done all this preparatory work. So you're going to stroll in there after you've done none? The answer is no. You're going to pull him out. So what was behind the Holy of Holies? I read it right there. It was inside the veil that we know was a hand's breadth thick. And in there was the Ark of the Covenant, and on top it was the mercy seat where God's glory would come down and in a, would settle there. 
And so that he would go and he would throw that blood of that ram and that goat before and on top of the mercy seat to cover, not cleanse, the sins of that year for the nation. It never took away the sin. They were always, remember what I said last week? They were always still guilty and still liable for those sins. Then comes Jesus. Y'all all right? Then comes Jesus. See, those sins were a foreshadowing, a shadow of the one perfect lamb. You could go to Exodus chapter 12 and read about it. And that was all a foreshadowing, a type of the coming perfect lamb of God that would die for your sins and my sins. And we can now approach the holy of holies on our own. So let's see how we do that. So let's look now. So now go back to, to Hebrews chapter 10, where and it's our passage. I'm, gonna, I'm literally going to walk us through this passage and what it says. So how can we approach? Well, first off, you approach with confidence. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to win. Now, the therefore is telling us that everything I've written, I'm based on everything I've written. I want to summarize it here really quickly. You can come with confidence. Now, that was a foreign concept to the Jew. The greatest picture, I believe, of this, you remember in the Old Testament, the story of Esther? Esther's there. She's won this beauty pageant, basically. She's now the wife of the king and, and her uncle Mordecai. And, and this guy Haman is, is wanting to kill all the Jews. And so Mordecai finds out and he tells her. And she's like, I'm not going into the king because he's not asked to see me. And he hasn't for a month. And Mordecai offers it. Here you go. Here's another one from Sunday school, Danny. How do you know that you're not here for such a time as this? And she finally says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go in. Either he's going to accept me or he's going to put me to death. Either one, I'm going to try. And so she walks in sort of whatever, and he holds out this golden scepter of his, which means you can come near. But aren't you glad today he doesn't stick out a golden scepter? We have a Savior that sticks out a nail-scarred hands that says, come on into my presence. I've got you. That's how we enter confidently because it's nothing of me. This covenant that we have with God called salvation is not based on hang matters nor on you. It's all based on him and his finished work on the cross. That's why I'm telling you it is eternal salvation that you cannot lose because nothing's based on me nor you. And you enter by the blood. Now, I don't understand how we can say we got church and preachers that are day will never want to preach on the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that unlocks the lock. It's the key that unlocks your entrance into heaven. It's the key that unlocks your entrance into the Holy of Holies. It's the key that unlocks your salvation is the blood of Jesus. It's nothing else. I don't understand how they came. Pray about it. Nine, chapter 9, Hebrews 9, 22 says these very words. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we, how do you, what do you talk about redemption if you don't talk about the shedding of blood? Go back to Ephesians. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writing here to his church at Ephesus puts it this way. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, notice it's in him, not in blood of bulls and goats, but in him, talking about Jesus, 
We have. You may be sitting here today and you may be, not be a believer. You say, I don't have it. Oh, but you do. It's there for the taking. If you'll come in submission and accept it. In him we have, here it is, redemption through his blood. See, there's this thought concept out there. Well, as long as you believe in whatever you believe in, you believe it rightly, you can go to heaven. My scripture says it's through his blood. My, my Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My Bible says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that says there's none other name given under heaven by which one can be saved except the name of Jesus. Don't give me that Buddha came to save my soul. No, he didn't. Don't tell me Muhammad came to save my soul. No, he didn't. Don't tell me that as long as I believe in a rabbit, I'm good to go as long as I have great faith in some rascally rabbit. You might as well say that, have I not? Hello? We come by the blood. But how do we do that? And what, what happens when we come that way? What happens when we come by the way? And what happened in that? And then he says this, it's by the new. That word new, it means this. You don't come the ritualistic way anymore. You come the conversion way. You come by becoming a new creation. When the blood pours over you, it changes you. All things have passed away. Behold, you're a new creation. I know I just got that verse backwards, but that's okay. You come that new way, and that word new, and have you ever wondered how the blood is still active, how the blood, it still works today, how is it? Because the word here has the connotation of freshly slain. Now, do you know this, that in heaven, the economy of time is no more. God lives in the past, present, and the future as if it's one, so there's no economy of time. So here's the truth. Whenever he looks and someone accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, it's as if he, Jesus was freshly slain, and the blood is still pouring out even now although he's finished the work the work is finished yet the blood still has power there is power power wonder working power in the precious blood of the lamb so it's a new way it's called it's from this way it's living it's not dead that you know the greatest thing about outside of jesus here's a better way to put it the old testament was nothing but ritual and some of us under grace still want to live ritual ways, don't we? We do. Well, if I read my Bible enough, if I come to church enough, we've never done it that way here. Well, praise God for that. Let's change something. That just carries people's nerves up. Oh. The message never changes. Hello. Never but your methods can. Hello? I'm going to deal with that a little bit more. Some of y'all ain't going to get it, but you're going to get it in just a few minutes. I'm going to end very controversially. That's called foreshadowing in preaching. And then you come through the curtain. That's what it says, and that he opened for us through the curtain. That is his 
flesh. Listen, in the Old Testament, you can look at it this way. God, all God did was say, here's how you can at least approach me in a, in a subtle way that's ritualistic. He told them that. But you get to the new covenant, God said, I'm not going to tell you how to approach me. I'm going to show you how to approach me. And I'm going to show you by my son, Jesus, who's going to walk the life that I wanted you to live, but you could not live because you sinned, but my son will live it perfectly. And then I'll send the Holy Spirit to put inside of you. And then we say, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. Yes, he is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's not just some it. He's not just a secondary God. He's God himself that will live inside of you, that will empower you to walk the life that he calls you to live. Problem is we don't want to submit, surrender, control to him. This is all about conversion, not ritual. But secondly, now we get into the let us's. Not let us eat, but let us's. Three things he tells us here. Let us draw near. You know what sin does? Sin makes you want to walk at a guilty distance. Go back to the garden. You with me? Stay with me. You remember in the garden, the Bible says that God would walk with them in the cool of the evening, and it's the picture that Adam and Eve were always there waiting to walk with him up close and personal, the way God wants a relationship with his children, intimate. What happened when they sinned? Same thing that happens when Hank Meadows sins. I start backing away, don't you? Let's just be honest. God, God I'm not worthy. You don't know what I just did. And God, I, I've done this for the fifth time today. And God, I'm not worthy to be near you. And the whole time and God is reaching out with that nail-scarred hand saying, if you would just come to me in confession of your sins, I promise I'll forgive you and I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But I want to just stay at that guilty distance. Sin separates you from God. Sin will make it. And the enemy, when you sin, the enemy, you know what the enemy does? The enemy says, listen, you can get away with it. Nobody's going to know. You'll be okay. And the moment you do it, here's what he says. I'm going to tell God and he's going to kick you out. Yet the Bible says, let us draw near. You know, when you draw near, you can hear clearly, can't you? I mean, if I'm going to whisper to Molly, now I've got a mic on so she would hear. But if I was going to whisper something, I doubt she could hear that. Kim may have heard it. Molly don't. And so when God is trying to talk to your heart and you're at a guilty distance, because God doesn't scream and shout. You don't hear things clearly. You don't see things clearly. But he tells us, let us draw near. Four things he says, let us draw near with a true heart. That means you come confidently. I'm coming not based on Hank Meadows' work. I'm coming based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and the shed blood of Jesus. So I'm coming confidently that my heart has been washed clean. Number two, I'm coming in full assurance. That means I'm coming correctly. And I come that way because he tells me to come that way. The Bible says it. And if we believe that Jesus, that God, the Holy Spirit is the author of this, then we come by how he says, let us draw near. So we come confidently and we come correctly. Then he says this, and by the way, that is subjective. You really don't know. You may not be able to see it, but you don't know. But then here's a, 
your hearts sprinkled clean. That means you come cleanly. You cannot come any other way other than with a clean heart. Hello? And then with your conscience and your bodies washed. That means you come conscientiously. So if you're going to draw near to God, there's four ways. You come confidently. You come correctly. Those are subjective means. You come with your heart sprinkled clean. That's cleanly. And your hearts and your conscience and your bodies washed conscientiously. That's objectively. So you come as God calls you to. Now you say, well, what does that mean when it says there are bodies washed with pure water? Flip back to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, so it hit you right between the eyes. This is that great passage talking about marriage and husbands and wives and each thing. And notice what it says there. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself over, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You want to know how to wash yourself and have all that? You spend time in this word. And let me, I'm going to throw a shout out. This Wednesday, I promise you, you don't want to miss this. This Wednesday, Bruce and I have been to have some conversation. This Wednesday, and for anybody out there that wants to come too, because we'll just dot your eyes, buddy. Um, what, Bruce is going to defend the validity of Scripture. He's going to prove to you that this is God's Word. You know what's under attack today, right? God's Word. It's a, it, people will tell us they, well, they want us to live these alternate lifestyles and all this stuff and all this mess, and then the marriage is this way. Hey, the Bible defines marriage and who you are. The Bible defines how you should live. Hello, and how you should not live. The Bible defines every aspect of your life. But that's why people are out there today saying, this is a bunch of myths. This is a bunch of fables. It's got errors in it. You come this way tonight, Bruce is going to show you how you can absolutely for sure know that this book is true. Now see, some of you, only about 45 of us will be here, and there's about 200 in here today. Rest of you... Well, you got to love a pastor that'll do that, don't you? I ain't done that in a while. I'm asking you to be here Wednesday night. Seven o'clock. We got Bradley and Casey got the little kiddos downstairs. We'll take notes for y'all. Don't you worry. Actually, the youth, you're going to be here with us. I could tell you a conversation with I've had one of our youths here lately, but I'm not about this very subject. You think they're not trying to brainwash our youth? You lost your mind. Daddy, you specifically ought to be here to help teach your children and give them a firm foundation. I'm going to tell you why. So how do we approach not only let us draw near, number two, let us hold fast. Well, what do we hold fast to? Walking through this again, let us hold fast to confession of our hope. In other words, what you truly believe of. You know, the Bible wants you to have a no-so hope. A no-so, it's not a hope that's based on, well, I just hope it. No, it's a hope that says, I know the Bible's true. I know that I'm saved. I know, listen, back here in Hebrews chapter 6, notice I love this. I, Kim, I saw you look at me when we sang it about the anchor. He, he, um, Hebrews 6 verse 19 says this, For we, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. There's an anchor for your soul that can just drop down, and no matter what society says, no matter what Washington says, no matter what somebody else is like, here's the truth. God loves you. He died for you. He rose again on the third day, and he wants to live in and through you, and he will always be there. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
That's the kind of faith that we need today. See, some of you, you're here, you're doing what I'm going to talk about in just one minute. You're wavering. Well, is it really true? Is it really not? Is it really? Katie sang and it was just, it, I love it when God shows up. <coughs> Nobody knew exactly what I was preaching today except for me and God. Every song we've sang has dealt with this and nobody knew it when they prepared everything. How amazing is that? He hears us. He sees us. And he's the anchor for your soul. I don't care what you're going through. The answer is Jesus. You ought to run to him. I don't think she would care. We all know that Daniel had a rough week. Fell, got hurt. Can I tell you this? April had a worse week. Her mom was really sick. I'm not, don't you cry back there. She called me Thursday morning. Here's all I said to her. I said, sister, I know it's bad. I know you're in a deep valley, deeper than you've ever been, but here's the truth of it, sister. God's still on the throne. You run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. You run to Jesus, girl. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never let you go. He always has the plan. You come without, notice what it says, you come without wavering. Look over there at James. Go to the next book to the right, James chapter one. And if any of you like, he's talking about wisdom here, know what y'all do. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it'll be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, same word, without wavering right there. For that one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. Here's what that person that wavers does. They have a good week, they come to church. They have a bad week, they stay home. They have a good week. Oh, praise Jesus. I'm going to sing all the songs. There's power, power, wonder working. Oh, I'm going to sing all the songs. Have a bad week. I'm not going because God was mean to me this week. By the way, God cannot be mean. He's the same God when you have a good week as he is when you have a bad week. He never changes. Your situation may change. He never changes. So your church attendance shouldn't be based on what you get from his hand. Oh, that's a good word. Secondly, under this one, you come without wavering and you come because he who promised is faithful. Don't you love that? Second Timothy chapter two, verse 13, the Bible says this, when we are faithless, he is faithful. You can never look at one moment of your life and say God was unfaithful to you. I'm going to speak for Hank. I know about one million times in my life I can look and say I was unfaithful to God. But I can't think of one time he was unfaithful to me. Because when, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. You may be walking the deepest, darkest night of your life. And the light of Jesus still shines forth. He's still there. You know, how, listen, and for the believer, here's how I know that to be true. Romans 8, 28, still in the Bible. That's a believer's verse. Because what he's doing in those deep, dark valleys is this, making you more like him if you'll come to him. That's what he, because listen, we just know Romans 8, 28, we fail to read verse 29 and verse 30 and 31 and 32 and 33, that all it talks about, if you read those next three or four verses, about what the good is. The good isn't bringing about what you want. 
The good is about making you more like Jesus. This is sort of an awkward stance I have right now. Pat myself on the back for such a good sermon. I'm kidding. Let me give you the last one. This is when it gets a little controversial. Because I'm going to talk about the church and why we come. Then he says this. Here's a third one. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now that word consider, I'm going to deal with a few words and I'm going to tell you where my heart's been this week. The word consider means to concentrate your thoughts, to fix your thoughts. Stir up means to incite, to help bring about. And then it says, to love and good works. I've been thinking all week about that verse. I've I've had that verse out of of all of them. It's just in that part. And I'm going to talk about it. The average Christian doesn't live that. You know how I know? Look at all of our churches today that have divisiveness, arguments. Do you come to stir up good works and love in your fellow people? When was the last time you came to church and you didn't care what the choir sounded like? You didn't care how the musicians sounded. You didn't care about the preacher unless except that he preached the word of God. You didn't care anybody. You came to me. And by the way, if you came to see me, you're an idiot. I know y'all are probably going, what? Well, Maria, you didn't have to be so aggressive in your yes right there, girl. Chill out. I mean, she's aggressive. Did y'all see her? She's true, though. You don't come to see me. You come to get a word from heaven. There's no other reason to come. But see, when the word from heaven comes from the pulpit, that's why you're here, is to hear a word, and that should incite you. It should move you, not just some pastor. Don't ever go to church because of the pastor unless he's preaching the word of God. If you have a faithful man of God, yes, but it's more important whether he is faithful to the text not whether he makes you laugh. But I've been thinking about it and I've been really struggling with it because I think about this. We're to stir up one another to, to love and good works. Far too often I think we come with our prejudices and our preferences. I think we far too often come with our pharisaical attitude. Well, I don't like it that we only sing hymns now. Or I don't like it that we sing those praise songs. That's your preference. Back when the the church was coming about, I'm pretty sure all they sang was psalms. Well, I, I don't like it that the preacher preached for 45 minutes. Okay, that's your preference. I don't like it that he's got on jeans today. That's your preference. Do you hear all that I'm saying? I don't like, I don't like, I don't like that people clap. That's your preference. I don't like that people say amen. That's your preference. We make our preferences 
equal to Scripture oftentimes. That's pharisaical. As long as Jesus Christ is preached and Jesus Christ is sung about, who cares? And by the way, if your preference moves you that much, there's other churches. Now, some of you are going to take what I just said, and that's all you're going to hear, and you're going to say, preach told me to go find another church. That is not what I said. Because my thought is, if you've got a pastor that preaches the Word, and you've got Sunday school teachers that teaches the Word, and you've got musicians that play and sing the Word, and you've got uh, Wednesday night and Sunday night people that preach the Word, why would you go find somewhere else? Why? It says that we're to, listen, uh, then my thought went here. We, we have to consider to stir up one another. And by the way, that's in the present tense too. To stir up one another to love and good works. Yet we come to do four things, I think. We come to critique, criticize, condemn, and corrupt. I'm going to condemn you because you don't believe like I believe. You might think differently, so I'm condemning you. I'm going to critique how you said that, preacher. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. When was the last time you came in this church with someone else, not your family, and you told them you loved them and you were so encouraged by them? When's the last time you looked at someone that you don't even know, and here's what you said, I'm so thankful that you're here. It breaks my heart how mean a church can be at times. We've all been there too. You've been on the other end of somebody being mean. But you shouldn't quit going to church, should you? I went to the dentist about 10 years ago. I don't know who made this woman so stinking mad. She took it out on me though. I'm telling you, she stood on top of the chair in my mouth. Y'all know, back when I worked for Haynes Brothers, we had these little drills that had, had um, bristles on them, you know, hard metal bristles. You know what I'm talking about? You, you clean stuff with the man. And I mean, I swear she had a mini one in my mouth. And I mean, that sister was going at it. I mean, she had this look of, and I'm going, I'm sliding down. She was stopping and saying, shut up. I thought I was in school. I said, yes, ma'am. I left Y'all, I am not kidding. My mouth was bleeding. My lips were numb. My nose hurt. It was the worst experience I've ever had at a dentist's office. I still go to the dentist. Hello. Y'all get where I'm going with this? Oh, I don't go back to that chick. Oh, heck no, man. What's wrong with you? I got Beth, man, over here. I don't don't go to that one no more. But some of you, when you criticize, condemn, corrupt, and complain, you're just like that lady. This ought to be our sanctuary, y'all. When we encourage and we love each other, and you make others want to love others because the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. And you make them want to come back. 
You know, kids never wanted to spend a night with my two kids growing up because church wasn't optional. They knew they came to spend the night at Hank's house on Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning. Their butt was going to church, period. I don't, no, don't get up Sunday morning and call mom and daddy. Nope. You going to church with me. You know how much easier that would be if we would all just follow God's word. And, and I love that verse. And here's what I want to leave you with today. We ought to consider how to do it. You ought to be thinking all week how you can encourage people. We ought to be not neglecting, which means abandoning, but encouraging. I know some of you are going, well, I don't have to go to church to get to heaven. No, no, you don't. If you say you did, that's a pharisaical attitude in and of itself. But because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you should want to come. Can I ask you this question? Are you near to God today? When was the last time you approached the throne? Confidently. When was the last time you, were, you wanted to draw near and you wanted to hold fast and you wanted to encourage someone else? You know, you can't, you can't, See, here's, what, here's the truth. You can fake a lot of things about Christianity. But I don't think you can fake those three. Drawing near, holding fast, and stirring up others to love and good work. I don't think you can fake that. I challenge you today to make that be your heart's cry. But it starts first with the relationship. Knowing him as Lord and Savior, surrendering to the Lordship of your life. Thanks for listening to the Marian message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.